Hello and welcome to the Tech Diplomacy podcast, brought to you from the Norwegian Consulate General in San Francisco. I am Gri Rabe-Henriksen, the Consul General of Norway. Technology has always played a role in human life. Yet, over the past decade, we have seen this role explode to a degree we can barely comprehend. As tech companies grow in scale, reach and wealth, governments have begun focusing efforts on bringing these new players into the diplomatic discussion. In this podcast, we invite diplomats, researchers, civil society and tech companies to talk about anything and everything at the intersection between new and emerging technologies, regulations and its implications. Join us as we explore tech diplomacy. Hi everyone, welcome to this Tech Diplomacy podcast. I'm Cecilie Herslit and I'm your host today together with the Norwegian Consul General Grira Behendriksen. Our guest today is the UN High Commissioner for Human Rights, Folke Türk. Welcome, it's a great honor to have you here. I'm very happy to be here. This year it is the 75th anniversary of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. San Francisco is the city. The Charter of the United Nations was signed in June 1945. So from Geneva to San Francisco, it's wonderful to have you here. It's very emotional for me because, of course, the United Nations Charter is one of these incredible documents that really came out of the Second World War, of the experience of the Holocaust, of you know all the atrocities that were committed in Europe and many other parts of the world. Um, I mean, over 80 years ago. And it gave hope with the signing of the Charter, but also with the negotiation of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. So it's great to be in San Francisco. Wonderful. So, High Commissioner, you have devoted your long and distinguished career to advancing human, uh, universal human rights and international protection of some of the world's most vulnerable people. You've served as Undersecretary General for Policy in the Executive Office of the United Nations Secretary General, and prior to that as Assistant High Commissioner for Refugees. And since you took office as the United Nations High Commissioner for Human Rights in 2022, you have been shining a light on the relevance of human rights to the technology industry and the importance of norms in this space. Uh, it is such an honor to have you as our go- guest in this podcast. Thank you. Yes, very happy to be here. So maybe to kick us off uh, first, can you please tell us about the office, uh, your office uh, of the High Commissioner for Human Rights? How how do you work to safeguard human rights? Well, first of all, we are present in over 100 countries. So we have a an office presence there. My colleagues are working both with state institutions, but also very importantly with human rights defenders, with civil society, with the private sector, with faith communities. And we are often the bridge between the civic space, if you like, and the institutions of the state. And what we have with us is the normative framework that human rights represents. These are obligations that member states themselves have accepted and they need to implement them. So we are there to support this. We also have, of course, the human rights ecosystem in Geneva with the Human Rights Council, which is the intergovernmental body. 
and and the treaty based system the universal periodic review the different fact finding missions commissions of inquiry so you have a whole panoply of different mechanisms that are there to promote and advance human rights and if you like we are a bit the conductor of this ecosystem so mm. we in a way try to make sure that we advance human rights by yeah by advancing the obligations that that states have when it comes to the protection of human rights. Mm. And um, so you're based in Geneva and that's where you're sort of conducting this uh, this effort. Uh, so why is it that you're coming to uh, San Francisco? Why is that important? So San Francisco, the Bay Area, the Silicon Valley is, of course, where you have very, very powerful non-state actors, the big tech companies. They have a lot of power they are transboundary whatever they are doing goes beyond just what is happening here in the bay area because of the innovation and the technology that we all depend on everywhere in the world so it's important for us to continue engaging with the big tech companies but also with smaller ones and to talk about human rights and to have these conversations with them about it. Because it's not just for member states that these human rights apply, it is also for companies. And it's important to realize what this means in today's world. What is the link between human rights and technology? And what is your perspective on technology? So technology is an incredibly powerful tool for many things. It's can help us, I mean, we have seen without technology, we would probably, we can't even imagine our life today, that it permeates each and every aspect of our lives. Um, but there is a shadow side to it as well. And it is absolutely critical that human rights infuses each and every aspect of the life cycle of technology, both when it starts, when you even have an idea What does this idea mean for humanity? And not just here or in Europe, really everywhere in the world. And we also need to take into account that there is a huge digital divide. You have people, many, we have 2.4 billion people who don't have access to the internet, for example. Uh, you have people who, have not, who are not literate when it comes to technology and, and the digital world. And that creates huge inequalities, inequities, And then there are the products that are put out there and they have human rights implications. They have the force for good, they have the force for in-between and they have the force for not-so-good things. And that's what human rights helps us to address because human rights gives us a lens, a prism to look into the big technology developments of today and to make sure that everyone understands that human rights are part and parcel of technology and of the development of it. What a fascinating way to view it. While new and emerging technologies come with tremendous opportunities and potential to contribute to the UN development goals, many challenges also arise from these breakthroughs. Tell us more, what do you think are the most important opportunities and challenges? I mean, the biggest opportunity for us is to close the digital div divide. I mean, and 
I mean, for instance, uh, it's unfathomable that part of the world is not able to have the uh, the the dividends that come out of the technology for their own it, for their own sustainable development, and uh, and that's really often the global majority. And and another part of the world is is fully in a different uh, ether. So it's important to to overcome the digital divide, but it's also important to ensure that, for instance, when it comes to the implementation of the sustainable development goals, that we harness the advantages of technology to combat hunger, to ensure that education is innovated everywhere in the world, even in the most remote parts of the world, because technology allows us to do this, that we advance medicine and healing and treatment. Um, I mean, we still remember the pandemic, and it was a miracle that within a year a vaccine or vaccines were found. In the past, this would have taken probably a decade. And so it shows us that we, we can use it also to overcome the inequality that exists between the global majority and the industrialized world. And technology is a, is a huge potential for bringing the world and unifying the world. This year, a record-breaking number of voters, close to 3 billion people across 50 countries, including the US, will head to the polls in elections around the world. What is human rights' perspective on elections? So the elections are obviously an important exercise of democracy, of free and fair elections, but also free and fair debate. Because elections are not just the actual day when people go to vote. It starts with the electoral campaigns. And as we have seen from the past, social media platforms can play a role that is either positive or negative. And the negative side of it is if you have disinformation, if you have deep fakes appearing, if you have vote of any manipulation, if you have all kinds of hate speech circulating and whipping up emotions, you're actually not getting the best out of an electoral campaign that is there to create the space that you need to find out what are the candidates standing for, what program do they really have, or are they just throwing sand in our eyes? So we need to make sure that technology helps us get to the facts. And that's often the problem because fact checking is very important on the social media platforms. And if it's not done well, you actually end up with a very, you could end up with a very biased process that doesn't get the best out of an electoral campaign. It's interesting to take that a step further and consider the possibility to educate children from an early stage in school to include more learning about social media and building up critical uh, thinking, digital literacy in curriculum. You see, my worry is that we will have a society where people get more skeptical. What yeah. is your perspective on that? I think there needs to be a lot more investment in critical thinking but also in digital literacy, uh, precisely because we want to ensure that you know we need enlightenment, and enlightenment is based on you know looking at facts, 
accepting the facts and not being swayed by emotions and fears that may cloud the reality. And social media can play a role in clouding precisely that, and that's very dangerous. Absolutely. We have to talk about AI. We are in the AI capital in the world. AI and generative AI is advancing fast. How do Human Rights Council and, and, and you approach the challenges with AI, including content created by AI in the context of elections? So generative AI in particular has the ability to amplify at a pace and speed the type of things that are already risks today, the ones that we have just discussed, for example. I mean, you could have massive deep fakes, for example. Uh, you could have the spreading of misinformation and disinformation at a scale that is un that's never heard of. And you could essentially end up in a situation where reality is where no one trusts anymore in what you see or hear. Trust is a fundamental condition of any functioning society. It's, you know, we need for societal cohesion. We need trust. We need trust in each other. We need trust in the institutions of the state. We need trust in the processes, electoral processes. And if you cloud that or if you put in the toxins of hate, of prejudice, of bias... It's very, very dangerous. And, and generative AI, if it's not properly controlled, has the possibility to do precisely that. So yes, we need to be very careful and we need to make sure that generative AI is not used for such purposes. Absolutely. US issued a new presidential executive order on the AI in October last year. EU already has several regulations that impact tech companies and recently introduced the AI Act. In your perspective, how important is regulation and policy to safeguard democracy? And what role do you as the UN High Commissioner have in this regard? So it is very important to have this regulation. Um, both the EU has really spearheaded it. Uh, we have seen the executive order of the US. I mean, these are very important documents. But we also need a global perspective on this. And as you probably know, there is currently ongoing negotiations of a global digital compact. Um, and again, within it, we have already an existing framework, which is human rights. And we need to make sure that the human rights dimension is properly understood, concretized, And we work with the big companies, with the BTEC companies. Um, we have this BTEC project. We actually have created a community of practice with them to, for them to understand how human rights impact assessments are carried out, how the business and human rights obligations are translated into practice, but also to walk through some of the dilemmas and difficult issues and to find solutions to that and to to break it down, not just to say human rights is important, but actually to say, well, human rights means the right to work. It requires labor standards, respect for labor standards. It requires 
that we, when we launch something, that we actually think what unintended consequences it could have on the right to work, on the on non-discrimination, on on the right to privacy and data protection, and and you go into a taxonomy of 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 these various areas and and discuss them with the, with the tech companies, but also with civil society and with member states. So that's really our contribution to to this global effort to do to get the best out of technology and to make sure that we mitigate and avert the worst. It's my impression that uh, at least the Norwegian and, and European companies they are doing uh, human rights impact assessment. And this is anchored in the REFI guidelines, the UN guiding principles for business and human rights. So uh, this is an effective instrument to take human rights considerations into account. Uh, it's important to do it at an early stage. Tell us more about the digital compact. What is new? I hear there can be some agreement in, in September. Yes, yeah, so it's part of this big leader summit of the future that is going to take place in New York in September this year. And there is a pact for the future that is currently being negotiated. And one component of it is precisely the digital side and the technology, if you like, the, the frontier issues of our times. So the Global Digital Compact really goes back to a high-level panel that the Secretary General established a couple of years ago on on technology and digit, on the digital technology side. And it's really to take it one step further and to establish what are the big principles that guide if what are the you know worldwide the consensus that we need in order to benefit from technology harness it but also make sure that yeah we take into account the possible negative sides of it and and avert them um, so this is currently being negotiated in new york by member states in a multi-stakeholder format And I, my hope is that it would build up a consensus, a worldwide consensus on on the digital world and how we deal with it, not just here in the Bay Area, but everywhere in the world, and and what it means for different countries, for different societies, for different communities. I totally agree. A global approach and global solutions to global challenges. What role do the 193 UN member states have in safeguarding democracy? I think the most important element is the fundamental social contract that you need within a society in order for it to function. Because if you have a divided, polarized society, you are not, I mean, you will actually end up in war and conflict and violence because you've i mean then you you lose the social cohesion you you're not addressing the grievances that people have so i think all member states every country in the world needs to go back to the basics and the fundamental values upon which also the united nations was founded which is not you know a western thing it's coming from all cultures from all religions from all spiritual traditions from all corners of the world. And human rights is, is really the glue that brings humanity together. So we sometimes see human rights in the negative, 
risks, violations, abuses, but we can also look at human rights as an incredibly powerful transformative force for the better of the world. And that's what also the Universal Declaration of Human Rights represents. What role does the technology companies have in safeguarding democracy? I mean, they're probably tools. And, you know, they are... I don't think they have a particular view about this because they, they are technical tools that are made available. But as always, we need to look at each and every tool from the perspective of what does it achieve in the world. And which is why we need these human rights impact assessments before they even develop certain mechanisms or tools or, you know, embark on, on, on innovation because there is this idea of only doing it if you have a mission in mind and, and that mission has to be guided by, well, by democratic values, by human rights values, by values of us living together in harmony. How do you view the tech companies' will to take responsibility for human rights? I think we have seen an evolution in the relationship. I think maybe even many or a couple of years ago you we didn't see that much engagement. I think that has really st has really seen a big evolution. Now you have even in big tech companies human rights uh, officers and so forth. I mean, so we see also an embracing of it and that's really important. I think the challenge is always how do we make sure that those who actually develop the technology, the engineers and the IT people, whether they understand human rights? And sometimes, you know, companies, of course, have different... I mean, it's a huge thing. I mean, the people that we see, they speak our language. But we also need to communicate with those who don't speak our language. And these are the, often the engineers who who may have less of an understanding of human rights and we need to find ways and means to engage with them so that they know about about this world on, on which the fabric of our societies are built. Exactly. It's also important to have the tone from the top. What happens in the management and the board is crucial to have the human rights embedded in the whole organization and part of the business model. DNA. It has to be part of the DNA of yeah. a company. So uh, you, uh, you talked about how we need to speak the same language and we are often uh, in sort of the tech diplomacy circles here in, in San Francisco talking about co-literacy between the, the people who understand uh, tech and the people who understand policy. Um, and uh, this is something that we're, we're trying to build, including with this podcast. We had a, a tech company uh, uh, talked about the importance for them of um, sort of helping promote democracy and human rights because it was in their sort of business interest uh, to promote democracies because they make more money in democracies and that, than they do in, in other um, countries. So uh, that's an interesting perspective. I don't know if you have a comment or a, a perspective on that. No, I think, you know, democracies is about freedoms. Because, you know, autocracies, if you like, they suppress freedoms. And of course, if innovation, creativity, you know, the, the spirit of, of moving ahead and addressing the challenges of our times can only really grow if, if we are allowed to blossom and flourish. Mm. 
And that can only be done when you are in a free society. Mm. Uh, so uh, this brings me to uh, to how um, how we as diplomatic practitioners here in San Francisco and in Geneva, how can we work together um, to achieve better results? So I think all disciplines today in our complex world can only benefit from cross-fertilization and synergies. So the diplomats have to understand more about tech, the tech people have to understand more about diplom diplomacy and politics and, and, and awareness, simple awareness, frankly, of the world. Which is again why, and of course I would say this as High Commissioner of Human Rights, but I mean human rights brings us back to what is fundamental in our lives, It is transversal. It has it covers each and every aspect of life, of interaction, of the relationship between communities and the individual and the state. It covers our relationship with the environment as well. So that's why it is so critical that I would hope that each and every discipline, whether it's medical, whether it's physics, I, I just went to the CERN in Geneva, which yeah. is a fantastic outfit of scientists, of amazing scientists, but actually to talk to them also about human rights and they talk to me about particle physics. <laughs> <laughs> and you would think that there is absolutely no connection, but there is a lot of connection because at the end of the day we all are made of atom, uh, atoms and you know we, we need to understand so much more about the universe to be able to advance humanity. And mm. let's not forget, it was... At a, a researcher at CERN who invented the World Wide Web. I'm sure we could go on forever. Before we round off, I want to ask you one more question. According to Norwegian research, young people use over four hours a day on social media. So if we say that uh, we live to around 82 years, this means that we use 13 years, night and day, on social media. And in addition, many watch TV and they watch series on internet. So I, I always encourage uh, the children I have in my life to put away their phone and go out in the nature and do outdoor activities. So what is your advice to the new generation and what is your dream for the future? A deep relationship with everything around us that is not limited to the extremely reductionist world of one machine. And I think if we are not connected with the organic and with the living world around us, we are missing out on humanity and on our lives. So the meaning of life is, is often nourished by how we interact with the environment, whether we appreciate, we notice a bird or a flower or a, or a or a tree that blossoms or doesn't blossom because of the seasons. And if we lose that, we lose mindfulness and we lose our deeper innermost being. And I hope, and I can only <laughs> hope for everyone who, young people, or older people, it doesn't matter, that take away the machine and look around and smell and breathe and, and enjoy life as it is. Vielen Dank, dass Sie heute zu uns gekommen sind, um über Menschenrechte und Technologie zu sprechen. Thank you so much for joining us today to talk about human rights and technology. Sehr gerne. Thank you very much. Thank you.
you.